So today is April 1st. It's April 1st, which means we have uh, come to the end of, of March. March is done and gone away with. And it also then means that uh, as we conclude, we are coming to the conclusion of our Mark madness. This time when we spent, where we walked through the Gospel of Mark, listening to the accounts that were told and shared about Christ and his earthly ministry and, of course, leading up to his death and his resurrection. And so as we come to this conclusion of our time spending and looking at a Gospel account that is obviously about Jesus, today I want to, though, do something a little different and draw our attention to another person that we see repeatedly throughout the uh, gospel account of Mark. And that's the person of Peter. You see, most, most scholars believe that Mark wrote this gospel based on Peter's preaching and retelling of the stories and the accounts and all that Jesus had said and done in his ministry. And I think with that in mind, that maybe in some ways this is a, a way for Peter also to give invitation for us to examine this Jesus and examine the calling for us to be disciples as well. An invitation to look at Peter as an example. But before we go too long, it's, it's not an example of discipleship in the sense of what it is as an elevated epitome, what we should strive for. But that if this is based on the preaching of Peter, then Peter would give us an understanding an account of who he is as a disciple. <clears throat> That rather, in the narrative that we see in Mark's gospel, he's not the elevated epitome, but simply an embodiment. An embodiment of all disciples. And so here's what we see. Because we may ask the question, well, how is that possible? How is that when we think of Peter? But we walk through Mark chapter 1, and we see that it's Peter and some of the other fishermen who are the first to be called as disciples. People simply attending to their callings as fishermen when Jesus says, come and follow me. And they were called to be disciples to follow after Christ. We may have a struggle with it a little bit when we say, well, yeah, but think about the things that Peter has seen. You know, Peter, it was his mother-in-law that was one of the first people of Jesus, that Jesus healed in his miracles. It's Peter who's with a very small group of disciples who was invited to separate from the rest of the group and to follow Jesus in Mark chapter 5, to go with uh, Jesus to Jairus' house, to be able to see for themselves Jesus have Jairus' daughter who is not only sick now but dead and to raise her from death to life. Peter got to see that result. You know, a few weeks back, we had that question from Mark chapter 8, where Jesus asked about who people said that he was, and the disciples went through the litany of all the things that people said about Jesus. And he asked that question, and then it was posed to us that really that's the question each and every one of us are asked and who need to give individually a response to that question. But who do you say that I am? And it was Peter, right? Peter who stepped forward and said, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. You see, we look at those things and say, well, how is it that we can look at Peter as an example of what it is to be a disciple that we ourselves can look to attend to in our own lives? We can look at the other Gospels, right? The other Gospels, not Mark, interestingly, but the other Gospels make sure to share the details that 
Peter is the one who was invited by Christ to step out and to walk upon the lake, to walk upon the water with Jesus. We can look at Acts and we can remember that in Acts we see that Peter's the one who gave that great Pentecost sermon where in his preaching the response was that thousands of people came to believe and to say that they repent and they would desire to be baptized. You see, we can walk through Acts and we can even see situations where Peter in his walking about, his shadow being cast over people who were in need of healing, that in his shadow passing over them, they were healed. How is it that we can attend to things to say that Peter is some way an example for us in our discipleship? But you see, here's what we see in Mark's gospel about this disciple, Peter. We hear the account of the Mount of Transfiguration. The situation where Jesus on this mountain seems to, to be transfigured and glowing. As God speaks the word, this is my son, listen to him. Here's where we see Peter come to the story because he was one of the three disciples who got to go on that journey. We're told in Mark that Peter was terrified. That he didn't know what to say when he saw these things, but he spoke anyway. Never a good idea. And as he speaks, he shows that he just doesn't get it. We can recall that great testimony of faith where Peter said, you are the Christ, in Mark chapter 8. But if we go on in a few more verses, we see that Jesus then takes the opportunity to explain what it means that he's the Christ. That he will go and he will suffer and he will be crucified and put to death and rise again three days later. And when Peter hears that, pulls Jesus aside to rebuke him. Say, no way. Never. See, I don't want to talk about death. I don't want to look about things that are sad or unfortunate or scary or bad. None of those things need to happen. And Jesus' response to Peter is, get behind me, Satan. You see, you're speaking selfishly, as men think, as the world thinks. You're not thinking with the gracious, compassionate heart of God. You see, there's the account where the disciples are hearing these parables of Jesus as he's talking about what it means to come into the kingdom of God. And as everyone hears these stories, he says, well, if that's the case, then who can be saved? And Jesus says, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And Peter, out of his fear and his worry and his anxiety about whether or not he is included in all of this, he wants to bring up the point that says, Jesus, remember, we've given up everything to follow after you. His fear of whether or not he'll be included in the promises of salvation. And Jesus gives him the assurance that says, don't worry, Peter. You are included in what I have to give with regards to my salvation. You see, there's a time when Jesus was talking about the end times, all the things that were going to happen at the end of the world. Peter and a couple other disciples they decide to pull Jesus aside. See, who likes to have the unknown hanging over them? And so they pull him aside in order to question him, say, can you give us some more details? We want to know exactly when this is going to happen. See, and then we jump ahead to Mark chapter 14. 
Again, just a small group of disciples, Peter, James, and John, go with Jesus into the garden because he is preparing for this ultimate sacrifice that he is going to make, and he is going to spend time in prayer with his heavenly Father. And he asks those disciples to keep watch and to pray with him. And upon returning, as Jesus comes back to those three disciples, they've fallen asleep. Jesus says, is it just too hard for you? You have fallen asleep. Peter, could you not even watch one hour with me? You see, earlier in the night, Jesus had declared, Look, you're my disciples, but you are all going to fall away from me. Abandon me when all this goes down. And Peter, in his boldness, says, No way, never, not a chance. Even if all these other disciples do so, not me. I will remain true and follow you. And Jesus says, I'll tell you, Peter, in fact, you will deny me. You'll deny me three times before the rooster crows twice. And following Jesus' arrest, when everyone in the garden is there and and Jesus is arrested, all the disciples flee and go running for their own safety and well-being. And Peter finds a way to, at a long distance, follow Jesus as he's walked into the town for his trial and everything else. And warming by a fire, Peter is greatly intimidated by a small little servant girl who says, aren't you one of those people who follow Jesus? He vehemently denies it. And the rooster crows. Again, the girl follows up, no, I think you're one of them. He denies it again. Now a couple of others, a group, have gathered together and they begin questioning Peter. And in such a desire to separate himself from Christ, he calls down a, a curse upon himself and he says, I don't know the man. And the rooster crows a second time. You see, Peter would in invite us to see ourselves as disciples just like him. We may not have been on the mountain or in the village, but our fears, our worries, and our anxieties cause us to have in mind the things of man and this world, not the heart of God. We might not have been present with the disciples and Jesus at that time, but when we are confronted with the sense that God Uh, knows us and all that we have done, that we instead want to make sure that we can bring out all the ways that we have sacrificed and demonstrate ourselves to be worthy of his salvation. You see, we may not have been in the garden, but we find it hard to keep watch in attending to the things that Christ would have us attend to, the things that are upon his heart, instead falling with the weakness of our flesh. And we may not hear a rooster crow, but Peter would demonstrate to us that with every single one of our our sins, we act in a way that is a denial of Christ being Lord in our life. You see, but also in Peter as a disciple, we have a unique opportunity to see and understand God's grace. You see, there's an interesting phrase that is only recorded in Mark around the resurrection account where the angel says, go tell the disciples 
and Peter. We're going to watch a video, and it mostly uses a lot of the details that you would see if reading through the Gospel of John. But I think it helps us to understand the hinge of faith that we see in this phrase from Mark 16, verse 7. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, His crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus, is that you? You're alive. I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord, and you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. This is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on. Peter, yeah. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? I love you. Yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster clucking. I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it. All right. Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And she said that the, there was an angel there. And the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. And so me and John, we hightailed it down there. And if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there, and I'm looking in that tomb, and it is. It is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait, yeah. the angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said okay. what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. As we come into this Easter season, we reflect upon 
Peter. By looking at Peter, he would point and direct us in a new way to look at Jesus Christ. That in no way is it about us. It always is and always will be about Jesus Christ. And the great story and the thing connected with Easter is that it is God at work in order to proclaim and include each of us by name into the account of how he pours out his grace. See, it's applying the same grace and Easter victory, the call to discipleship, the invitation to follow Jesus, as was given to Peter. As we think about the fact that uh, in an activity like baptism, Jesus would have it that our name would be spoken. As we are baptized and water is poured out and his name is spoken and his word is proclaimed so that we can hear and understand that his grace is communicated to each one of us. As he went to the cross and he rose from the dead and he has called us in discipleship completely by his grace. Please stand and join me in a word of prayer.